passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is July the 26th. I am John Pollock alongside Waiting following AW Dynamite from the MVP Arena in Albany, New York. How are you, Way? Uh, doing okay, John. How about yourself? I'm doing uh I'm doing remarkably well. Remarkably well. Hmm. Yes. I've had a lengthy wow. day, but uh I'm all set to go here. We have lots to discuss tonight. It will start with well, whatever Way has on tap for us, because tonight Way is running the news. And then we will conclude the evening talking about Bam Bam Bigelow on the double shot. Yeah, right after these shows, we've been doing it all season long of this season of Dark Side of the Ring. We go live right at postwrestlingcafe.com for the double shot where we've been talking all about Dark Side of the Ring. So looking forward to the chat about Bam Bam Bigelow after this. Me too. Me too. I have a lot of thoughts coming out of that episode. So we will be talking about that as soon as we finish uh, Rewind to Dynamite, which will be in about an hour or so. We will flip over postwrestlingcafe.com or for video subscribers, video.postwrestling.com. You can just keep the night going with us as we flip on over to the cafe and you can check out our thoughts on the Bam Bam Bigelow episode and share your own thoughts. But um in a nutshell, I have been... uh out the entire day. So uh, uh, Wei has uh, taken over the news for tonight, but uh, you you take it from here, Wei. What is going on in the pro wrestling world? Well, I mean, in, in the news, really, a lot of it is your work, John. So I'll be uh, reading some of your words to oh, you. Wonderful. And, uh, of course, the work of Neil Flanagan and Andrew Thompson over at postwrestling.com, where I encourage everybody to bookmark to get their fix, to get caught and up to date 
with what's in the news, and that includes ratings. A lot of ratings, John, for AEW Collision, WWE Raw, and WWE NXT. We start over here with AEW Collision scoring its second largest audience while dropping in the key demo for this past weekend show in Newark. The July 22nd show from the Prudential Center averaged 618,000 viewers and a .18 in the 18-49 to demo per Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. Uh, any thoughts or things you'd like to add to this, John? I mean, it was, you know, right below, we've sort of placed a barometer at a, at a 0. 0.20. So it was slightly below that, even if their, um, th- their overall audience was up from the week prior. I would say that the 18 to 34 numbers across the board from even Rampage uh, was up dramatically, but that trend continued with Collision. It continued with Raw and it really, um, spiked with NXT. So it would suggest, uh, at least over, you know, a sample size of, you know, a couple of days, a strong 18 to 34 presence on these shows, which tells you like a younger audience, uh, seeking out some of these shows. So I didn't think it was a, a blow away great number for collision, but it also going into it, it didn't have a giant lineup either. And if you were not tuning in, you wouldn't have even known you were getting a punk match on that show, which is a strategy that can be debated. If punk is wrestling, should it be made during the show or should you know that going in? And you also maybe don't want to lock yourself to a certain formula that, you know, you tune in, then you might get a 25 minute CM Punk tag match on, on the show as well. I, I will say this Hartford show is built up. Like this does feel like a significant collision uh, with the ladder match and with the tag title match as well that was i thought some very effective promos on dynamite to build that up i went into this past saturday show thinking that this could be the baseline just given you know maybe the lack of punk announcement um really this might be way because the hamilton one is an outlier at this point like we have nothing to suggest that that is going to be a trend and this might be um and what's going against them this saturday is not so much pro wrestling wise but for combat sports, it's a massive night. Like UFC 291 is a pretty big pay-per-view. It's not, it's not a blockbuster, but it's, it's a pretty good show that they have. And the prelims will be, you know, that, that's competition for them. You also have, and this is later in the evening, you have the, uh, the Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, a boxing fight, which is a really big fight. And it's just a question of like divided attention. And if collision is going to be, um, you know, affected in any way by boxing or MMA on top of Major League Baseball that's going up against them. So, um, but yeah, I would say like a point one eight. You would hope that is sort of the basement. I wouldn't want to be dipping much below that. I think that would be a uh, a more negative sign. But I, I think you know you continue to look at a point two as sort of your look at you know a successful show for them. At what point? I mean. Excuse me. We're heading into week seven now of collision. Are we getting towards maybe what you would consider to be a stabilizing of, you know, demographics for AEW? Can we do we have enough data at this point to make any sort of conclusion? I think that you're you're looking at it in in terms of, you know, this is. Like it's a fine number that they're that they're drawing on Saturday nights. It's um, I, I wouldn't say we have like um like a deep look in terms of like the, the the sort of audience makeup as compared to dynamite. But it is interesting to see that as collision ha- and this hasn't coincided like the very same week, but it's the same time period that as collision is getting off the ground, 
NXT is ramping up. And now that's sort of like, these are, these numbers are neck and neck each week. And NXT beat Collision in most of the demos that this week. And it's, you know, as NXT is really heating up, um, you know, that, that's another question is like in this Venn diagram, are there fans that might have been watching Collision that are sort of getting back into NXT? And that's, that's two hours of wrestling they're picking up that they might not be. That's gonna... hard for me to believe. I mean, I'm watching two hours on Saturday. Therefore, I'm going to watch two more hours on a Tuesday. No, I mean, I'm it's... saying the opposite way. I'm saying that people that are getting more into NXT are now skipping collision because they're they're getting back into NXT and they're not fitting in an additional two hours on a Saturday night on, on top of it. But NXT is occupying, you know, that excess wrestling time for them. Um, yeah, I guess so. But like you said, they're both growing, right? Collision is not, I would say, growing. I think it's kind of at a, a steady rate at this point. I would say NXT overall has is growing with this main roster. Involved. I suppose the fact that this audience didn't exist before six weeks ago would indicate for me more people watching wrestling, or at least more time spent watching wrestling from an audience that wasn't watching on Saturday. But yes, I mean, there's you know they have they have their audience they have their audience i guess you're you're just looking at i mean is 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 this the ceiling for collision is there growth to be had uh, for for a saturday night show and thus far this is sort of the range i think they're going to need a big angle they're going to need they're going to need more than the novelty of punk and special attractions every other week to really grow this audience beyond it and is this like this is a respectable audience that they're doing on Saturday nights? Like if you're doing a point two on Saturday nights, like that's it's a good number. I wouldn't call it a home run, but it's certainly not. I would never classify that as a failure for them. Let's talk about WWE Raw. WWE Raw continues to ride a wave of momentum with its largest male. It's 18 to 49 audience since April. The July 24th edition from Tampa averaged 1,818,000 viewers and 0.57 in the 18 to 49 demo. Also per Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. Thoughts? Yeah, it was, it, it was a good Raw. Again, the 18 to 34 number was up like 25% from the week prior and we saw a very big uh, second hour, they did like a 0. 0.6, uh, 0. 0.61 in, in the demo. Other than that, I mean, it was, I would say, you know, it was kind of, kind of in line, like, you know, 1.8 million viewers is sort of the, the range in which, uh, they, they are hitting at, at this point. And it's the, the third hour drop, but, you know, 12% throughout the show. It's not a, a crazy amount. It's sort of in line. I didn't take too much away from this raw number on Monday, other than it's, th- they are overriding any kind of, like they're raw, I think is becoming appointment viewing for people and they can go into a show with this where it was, you know, not anything significant promoted for it, but they have a very strong base. And I think that's heating up with SummerSlam build. Tuesday's NXT averaged 703,000 viewers on USA down 5.8% from last week's rating. Uh, however, it is the still the second highest audience since June of, uh, June 20th. And, uh, a 0.23 rating in the 18 to 49 demo, which is, uh, increased from 9.5% from last week. And it actually ties the Rollins versus Breaker episode for the best demo rating since October of 2020. Yeah. The, uh, the actual viewers in 18 to 49 was a little bit lower. The rating was, was equal, but this was their second biggest 18 to 49 number of the year. Um, but this was 
in 18 to 34, the biggest number of the 2.0 era. And I don't know how far back in the black and gold era you would have to go to do a 18 to 34 number like this. It was also the biggest women 18 to 49 number of the 2.0 era. So that tells me that is an audience they are tapping into in a big way. Interesting that in, um, 35 to 49, your older demo, uh, that was up, that was down rather. 25%, including women down by 51% from last week. So some interesting numbers there. But in 18 to 34, like they were through the roof. Women in that 18 to 34 demo nearly doubled from last week. And if you look at the quarter hours as well, it's not a, you would think like, did Rhea Ripley and Lyra Valkyria mean that much? And, you know, they had growth for their match, but it was nothing like the Dominic Wesley match last week that added a huge amount. This one, the peak rating was uh, earlier in the night. It was the finish of Roxanne, per- or, sorry, not Roxanne Perez, but Cora Jade and Dana Brooke. Um, that was like the nine to nine fifteen quarter was um, the, the big quarter for the night. Uh, and speaking about, WWE NXT, we have an updated lineup for Great American Bash. Uh, newly crowned North American champion Dominic Mysterio will be putting his title on the line in a triple threat involving Mustafa Ali and Wesley, whom he beat for the championship. Also, Olympic gold medalist Gable Steveson will be making his, making his in-ring debut for the WWE, taking on Baron Corbin. The updated lineup is as follows. It is headlined by Carmelo Hayes defending the NXT Championship against Ilya Dragunov. Uh, Gallus will be defending the Tag Team Championships against Tony D'Angelo and Channing Stax Lorenzo. The Women's Championship a submission match will be taking place between champion Tiffany Stratton versus Thea Hale in a weapons wild match. Blair Davenport takes on Roxanne Perez uh, at the aforementioned North American championship match, Gable Stevenson versus Baron Corbin. And on the kickoff, we have Dragon Lee and Nathan Fraser, you Lisa Leon and Valentina Ferraz versus the meta four. So um, your thoughts on this lineup and Gable Stevenson sticking around WWE. He is sticking around. It's, I think that's like a pretty big attraction to put on Great American Bash. You could argue if Gable Stevenson's first match, would it be more valuable during this time to put on television? Or could you double dip and do this Great American Bash and then promote his first match on television at a later date? Like to me, that's like, it feels like um, a match that people are going to tune into that may have never watched NXT before that have followed Gable Stevenson's career and, the premium live event. I, I don't see a whole lot of curiosity of people like signing up for Peacock just for this, but it's, mm. it's a big attraction to have on this show on Sunday. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know how much uh, of a, of an attraction for, for TV it would necessarily mean. Um, I, I don't really know if I'm the demographic, you know, to, to suggest whether or not I'd be tuning in for a Gable Stevenson. I think that's a question for maybe amateur wrestling fans or just maybe fans of, 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 uh, I don't know him through the Olympics, perhaps. Um, maybe a pay per view space gives him a bit more time rather than the constraints of a TV setting, perhaps. But it's a Baron Corbin match and I'm curious to see how he looks for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, we will see. I mean, Corbin is there to be suplexed, and I'm sure it's going to be a very well-constructed match to emphasize Gable Stevenson. And on paper, it looks like a good show, like these NXT shows usually uh, deliver. The The main event should be very strong with Carmelo Hayes and Ilya Dragunov, and Trick Williams is in the mix there. Did you get to see the, uh, the security footage of Roxanne Perez attacking Blair Davenport in the uh, grocery store? They... they 
did a subtle nod to this Steve Austin Booker T grocery uh grocery store from years ago. Yes. <laughs> and um and then the uh the cops were on their way and then Roxanne Perez took off. So I don't know if the cops got her or not, but this was assault caught on camera and I don't know if maybe uh maybe after Tony D'Angelo got off, Roxanne Perez isn't too worried about jail knowing uh, you know, she's gotta win a wrestling match and I'll be I'll 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 meet bail. That's about it. Uh, Alex Shelley has challenged Hiroshi Tanahashi to an Impact World Championship match at Impact X New Japan Pro Wrestling's Multiverse United 2. In a clip, Alex Shelley said, Oi, 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 Tanasan. You were a big senpai to me for years when I was in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I looked up to you because you were the ace. Well, guess what? I'm the Joker. Call me August 20th at the world-famous 2300 Arena. Go ahead, challenge for this, and I'm going to show you why now I'm the best in the world. Yes. Um, man, Hiroshi Tanahashi, maybe, maybe there is a, uh, a multiverse version of Hiroshi Tanahashi and, uh, different, different year of Tanahashi. Did you, he took on Toru Yano today in the G1. Dude, Tanahashi did not look good in this match. This was like a, th- this was the like six minute Toru Yano match. And dude, like Tanahashi was off. He was very off in the, in this match. I thought it was, um, pretty, disappointing and it wasn't just you know doing the the yano style of match it was just tanahashi like a lot of hesitation there was like just not the crispness uh in his step and you know he's been having like his g1's been fine but anyway getting back to this one like a lot of these it just feels like tanahashi is the new japan gun for hire that will go out and can lose to your world champion and that is his role at, at this point i mean it's I guess it's an attractive enough match for a venue the size of 2300 Arena. Um, but I don't know. It's, it, it's lacking a spark to me with Tanahashi just sort of in this role that is designed to be just, you know, comes in and puts over the, the champion. Like we just saw this with MJF and I, I don't know how much, um, attraction there is for, you know, a, a discerning audience that is following Tanahashi and has seen a lot of Tanahashi over here recently. And clearly no time off after this G1. And I know this show is a week after. So he and he's doing House of Glory. He's doing Impact. Um, yeah. So he's gets no, uh, no break after the G1. Well, speaking of the G1, we have our first el- elimination. And that is unfortunately Tatoriano, who is eliminated from the D block going 0 4 thus far in this year's tournament. Everybody else is still mathematically alive and as we go through the standings here our current leaders in the top two spots for each block after eight nights in the a block uh, leaders are sonata and kaito kiyomiya the b block is led by kazuchika okada and will osprey who will meet in uh, just a few hours actually in uh thursday show c block is led by a three-way tie between david finley evil and tam and tonga all tied with six points and in the d block jeff cobb and zach saber jr are the leaders uh, any thoughts on tonight's show which uh, by the way we've given out the the review between Eric and uh, Bruce Lord out for free on the uh, YouTube. Those of you listening in the podcast feeds will get it uh, in the afternoon on Thursday. But uh, thoughts on tonight today's show, John? If you had a chance, I I've seen everything except for the main event, so I've not seen that. the The big matches that stood out for me: um, Tomohiro Ishii and Eddie Kingston had a phenomenal match. This was like Eddie Kingston is off to it, like this is summer camp. 
and he is being sent there and he's having the time of his life. He is going to all the Japanese hotspots and then he got to have a killer match with Tomohiro Ishii at Korakuen Hall. So that was one of the better matches of the tournament. As I mentioned, Tanahashi looked really rough against Toriyano. Um, some of the undercard really did not um, hit in a big way. I am going to say this. I thought this was Evil's best match of the G1 so far. I think it helped being in the opener with a with a, the crowd was very energized here at Korakuen, and him and Aaron Hanare had a, a very good uh, opener. So, um, and the main event I'm sure was really strong with Jeff Cobb and Zack Saber Jr. But that I have not seen, and it got the recommendation. So there you go. That would be the uh, the matches to check out from Wednesday. For more of that, uh, your your news, John Pollock's news, Andrew Thompson's news. Neil Flanagan News, postwrestling.com. And on Thursday, Way and I will be back. We will be doing a G1 show on Thursday evening, covering the card from Oda Ward Gym that is headlined by Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay. So that will be up for Post Wrestling Cafe members on Thursday night. Plus, for the cafe members out there, the finale of Secret Invasion. So that series coming to an end. And uh, WH Park, Rich Fan, navigating you through this uh, Nick Fury adventure. And I believe Nate Milton will be joining them as well. So I oh. think those guys will be doing that show live. I have not confirmed the time with them yet, but I most likely it'll be 10 p.m. Eastern time. So check your inboxes in the Post Wrestling Cafe. Okay. Lots of great shows coming up. We've got Rewind to SmackDown on Friday. We'll have a Great American Bash review this weekend with Braden and Davey. G1 show with Karen and WH and uh, Postmarks will be dropping on Saturday. Jesse from the Six mm-hmm. in the house. So lots yeah. of great stuff. Birthday boy, Braden Harrington. So happy, happy belated birthday at this point. I suppose. How old is Brain? I, you know, you're gonna have to ask him, and then I think you'll have to ask Davy because I think Davy has a better um, grasp of how old Braden actually is. Okay, what a worker! Just uh, kayfabing his his age all these years. I think I can believe that he doesn't really know how old he is. I, I grew up with a friend who legit did not know his his birthday um, at all. He had to just guess. He had no no, uh, no documentation. Had had nothing. Hmm. Did you hear? Um, Sinead O'Connor died today. I did hear about that. Yes, man. I couldn't believe she was 56 years old. How old did you think she was? I thought she was older in in my oh. mind. Um, yeah, you were. It sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. She, of course, had, I, I thought that was such a, an amazing walk-in that she did for Conor McGregor at 189. That was the card where Conor was supposed to fight Jose Aldo and they had had talks. They were hoping to have Sinead O'Connor bring in Conor and then Rihanna would do run this town for Aldo, but then Aldo got hurt and that fell apart. So they got the, the dude from stained to uh, do Chad Mendez's entrance. So that that's a bit of a downgrade when you're going from uh, Rihanna to Aaron Lewis. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I was there. <laughs> you, you were, you were probably yeah. pretty busy working. I think I went to the arena to, to watch. So that you one. got to yeah. see Sinead O'Connor live. <laughs> I think I did. Yes. 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 It do you, was do you remember the? Uh, do you know the whole um, uh, the the ripping of the the Pope photo story from? Of SNL? course, yeah. That's that's how I mainly know her. Actually, it it was such a famous story at at the time. I was I was just reading about this like not all that long ago. But the the story for those that are not uh, aware of it was this was like around thirty thirty one years ago, and she did the guest spot or the music uh, spot on SNL, and at the end of it. She rips up a photo of the Pope that they have zoomed in on and the way she had to work the production because like, obviously they did not know this was coming, 
and she had to get them to zoom in on this. So during the dress rehearsal, they like the manager goes to them and she wants to do the this song, this Bob Marley song, and link it to you know awareness about child abuse. So during the dress rehearsal that they do prior to going live, she has a photo that they zoom in on a photo like of a child. And it gets over really well. And they know this is going to be like a great moment during the show. So then during the live version, she pulls the swerve and she brings out the Pope's photo and rips it. And they freak and they don't put on the applause sign. So the crowd is just silent as this happens and they go to break. And it was a really big controversial uh, event in, in her career. I think it's one of the big moments in SNL history. It's definitely one of the big, the big SNL moments from, yeah, that was like 92 that that happened and still, still referenced. So uh, rest in peace to Sinead O'Connor. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast... Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Dynamite on Wednesday night in Albany, New York, episode 199. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're finally at 200. It's about time. Yes. Does it feel like UFC 200? Um, I Not really. No, I don't think it does either. Orange Cassidy and AR Fox opened up the show. Well, first, we got a video package. I like this a lot. They showed the the video package involving the relationship between Darby Allen and AR Fox that was loosely mentioned last week when uh, Darby asked Orange Cassidy to give his buddy AR Fox the shot because AR Fox took in Darby when he had no money and to live with him. So this was him paying it back and getting AR Fox uh, a title shot. But this would be woven in and kind of told this story throughout the whole night that ends up with like a big turn and AR Fox aligning with the, the mogul embassy. So we get this video package that kind of sets the table and Fox offers his hand at the beginning and Cassidy just kind of does his weak handshake and they're going over all of the injuries to orange Cassidy and the men responsible for these. So they're going by, that's what Kyle Fletcher did to his neck. And that's what Daniel Garcia did to his lower back. And Jake Hager did this. And Excalibur is mentioning, you can't even see his knees. They're a mess too from Jarrett and Lethal. And then he's got the busted right hand. So it's like, it's continual that this guy is just falling apart. And it, I've said it a million times, but like I watch a match like this. I was like, could AR Fox win this championship? Like I'm open to anyone any week could win this title because I feel it will end up being a surprise where everyone is stunned when it's like this guy won the title. This is how you ended the championship reign. I feel that's the story is just, there is going to be that week that orange Cassidy is just, there's too much against him and he's in, and it's just the wrong time with the wrong person. And you could make a guy by ending this reign and it might not be your obvious pick. Like maybe it will be your AR Fox or an equivalent on one of these shows. 
it, it, I think in terms of storyline, yeah, anybody can justifiably win it. Um, maybe in more of a real world sense, because Orange Cassidy has like done so well with this championship and propped this championship up so well, so much. It's hard for me to see somebody win it unless Tony Khan felt like they were, you know, justifiable, like justifiably ready to take over that spot. Well, he does the uh, the hands in the pocket sequence, and Fox kicks off of the post, landing on him on the floor. And then there's a big stun dog onto Fox, and Fox blocks a satellite DDT, suplexing Orange. And then Cassidy and Fox fire up at one another. They go and hit simultaneous neckbreakers on one another, which is always frustrating when I go for a neckbreaker and the guy's doing it at the same time as me. Tope Hero by Fox and then a swan dive. People were really hot for this, and they bought this swan dive as a potential finish and AR Fox winning. Tornado DDT that just spikes AR Fox. He just goes down vertically. Beach break for a big near fall. And then Fox leaps for the Spanish fly and hits a rolling thunder on the edge of the apron. Follows it with a draping DDT, but misses the 450. And Orange faints with the orange punch. So Fox goes to do, do his little like kip up deal to his back and gets caught with the mouse trap. And Cassidy pins him in 13 minutes and 46 seconds. Um, I thought this was the best match on, on, on the show. And there was, um, this was a mixed night of wrestling on dynamite, but I thought this was, we, we got off to a great start in Albany. It was a really good match. And, you know, first the video package, whoever is making these video packages for Darby, I hope AEW hires them full time and flies them out to various parts of the, the country to do them for the rest of the roster. Cause between these and the Nick Wayne videos, they've been some of the most effective video packages this company has produced in storytelling. In a short amount of time, I know exactly the story of an AR Fox, exactly the story of a Nick Wayne. And I, the, the I mean, angle meant a lot more later on that we'll get to because of just setting things up here in the, ve- the very first thing you see on the show is this video package. And it was like, I've been critical in the past that sometimes you see AW, it's like everyone has their segment and we rarely get people weaving in and out. And this was one where they told a story throughout like an hour of dynamite where there was a big progression from this match to the later one we'll talk about with Darby and Swerve. We learn, you know, of course, the, about the very personal history between AR Fox and Darby Allen. We also see AR Fox like leading a wrestling school, you know, and, and as somebody who might not know that much about AR Fox, I think that automatically gives him a level of credibility to know he's this much of a veteran that he's doing things like this, you know, running his own school and, 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 and teaching others and everything. So I, I thought it was like the best. Well, AR Fox's biggest night in AEW thus far. And that, of course, will continue. Um, great looking offense. Speaking of veterans, I mean, these two, of course, they have their history together in in Afghanistan, Killshot and Dante Fox. I didn't watch Lucha Underground. Oh, where he left them on the battlefield. Yeah, this was the whole basis for their their feud in Lucha Underground. Well, well, there you go. He's still got the army pants. Yeah, well... Uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought Fox looked really good, e- even in a match like this where he lost, going 50-50, though, with uh, Darby Allen. Or, sorry, Orange Cassidy. So Cassidy was kind of lukewarm to the the handshake at the beginning of the match. But after this war that they have, Cassidy offers his hand and then gives Fox his sunglasses. But Fox breaks them and attacks Cassidy. And this caught the crowd off guard and they're booing it. But then he immediately regrets what he's done. Like he just he had a, a snap judgment and is going to the floor and is looking very distraught at what he did. And Darby runs down. He is pissed at AR Fox. He calls this embarrassing. What did you do? And Fox is sorry, and he just goes to the back. And it was it was so much like Fox got so browbeat by Darby Allen that it really did 
register for later this kind of a justification for AR Fox. So not even justification, but you, you sort of, it, it made sense by the end of it. The way he just took this and left like with his tail between his, his legs. Well, I mean, Darby rightfully, you know, yelled at him for attacking Orange Cassidy like that. But um, it was a great way, I think, to continue the story. This wasn't just a one-night challenge and then failed, you know, attempt, and then you never hear from AR Fox again. This was the start of a bigger story for him. I think turning him heel at this point, like, puts him on people's radar and uh, gives gives him a much-deserved much spotlight because he's been fantastic thus far in AEW. Moxley runs in, attacking Orange Cassidy with the Death Rider. So that is... Continuing our our BCC best friends uh, program that is emerging, and on this show, um, that handshake deal from from last Wednesday seemed like it was uh, that never happened. I think it, it 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 signified the end of the BCC elite program, but it certainly did not seem to indicate a babyface turn for the Blackpool Combat Club, which is very it's very awkward. Like they are at odds with Pac, like they are coming for him. Mm-hmm. But Pack is not this does not feel like this baby face either. I don't think he is. Okay, He's a so heel. We, okay. And so are the BCC. Yeah. Okay. Heels can hate each other. Um I mean I, all, the crowd ultimately decides who are the baby face and who the heels are, right? So if, if there's maybe storytelling elements that are kind of like um, confusing that, then maybe there's something to criticize. But at this point, like you can understand why two assholes would hate each other. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason for it from from that match at at Blood and Guts, but it it does feel a little like muddled i would say i also think the blackpool combat club are the type of group that like even if they're whether they're baby faces or heels they're going to kind of stay similar in personality they're still going to be jerks that'll like attack somebody for just because they love violence they did a great recap of blood and guts and they got all the highlights into this video package like if you just saw this highlight pack you would want to go back and watch this like they got all the key spots and this match looked insane in a 40 second recap that this was Renee is with Jericho and Callus, and Callus has set up a tag match where Jericho can team with Takeshita for one night, and Jericho agrees to this, but then Callus states the opponents are going to be Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara, and Jericho is very conflicted at this, and Callus talks him into it, saying you wanted them to spread their wings, and Jericho ultimately agrees to face his JAS teammates, and Callus has commissioned a new painting, and it's him and Jericho from 1995 with Bad News Allen looking over top them. So yeah, whoever, just, whoever this artist is, he is getting some some work every every couple of months from Don Callis. This is his third one, I think. Oh, uh, what, what were the others? I forget. Well, Other he did the, the the first one with him and and Mock, uh, him and Omega, and then there was one of him and uh, Takeshita, I believe. And now there's this one. Wow. Okay. Wow. I I didn't realize the paintings were his thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Jericho has you know seemed almost like way too agreeable here throughout this entire thing. Uh, with Callus, so it just keeps all of us waiting for the twist and what Jericho truly is thinking um, behind all this. It's very similar to like Adam Cole and MJF, where you know they're thinking something different than you know their actual on-screen behavior. So let's see what it is. Then we went to our uh, SNL digital short where Hook was at the subway, and then he's <laughs> si- sitting with his title. The subway comes, the title disappears, and then another subway comes, and he disappears. Um. Yeah, well, a cool little vignette, I suppose. Um, 
and and that's about it. What does it mean? Like he is this metaphorical? Because he wouldn't have the championship, you know, before this. So he this is trying to tell say this tell the story that he's lost the championship and now he's going after the championship. I took it as the title's gone, so I'm gone. Right. Where's he going? I don't know. Wherever I don't know. Okay. Finch Station. Um, a lot of buses go there. Yeah, I'll have to wait a while. A bit longer than this. Claudio and Yuta give a PSA about not playing with fire and don't mess with the BCC. And they're warning Pack that Death Before Dishonor was just the beginning. As about 60% of the audience was like, what was Death Before Dishonor? What did I miss? And Moxley comes in. He cuts a promo on Orange Cassidy and warns the teams to stay in their lane tonight. You're going to get hurt. So this was a he's taken issue with Cassidy trying to look cool like Clint Eastwood. And he's finally noticed this. Yes, yes. Um, So even though like last week, they really didn't make any mention of Death Before Dishonor. I thought this show did a good job of recognizing Death Before Dishonor. You had a lot of like um, follow ups, you know, the best friends like the main event was made as a direct direct result of things happening. Um, Even, uh, you know, I'd say promos like this uh gravity versus pack in a way was you know first announced at, at the death before dishonor so if you made the time to, to watch it you came out of it feeling like it was an important show but um i guess it wasn't completely necessary did they mention willow and athena i did i didn't hear any mention of that no right well i mean i understand you only have room for so much and you can't recap the entire like show but man that was like that was the main event and that was pretty important so if, if they did recap it in more wrong let us know chat room but i don't recall seeing anything either tony Shavani brings out jack perry who comes out dragging the ftw title with an i beat hook shirt and he's in orange and black and he says that hook went home on a train to nowhere so that's where he's gone it's a long train. Uh, clearly it was a bus and not a train that he got on well i've I guess so. Unless he got on the bus to get to the train station. It's possible. There's lots of booze here for Jack Perry. And when he said he was going to win a championship, he sure wasn't talking about this one. It was created in a second rate company for scumbags like you, Albany. And he's never, this title has never been recognized, but it became the real deal when I won it. And I'm the greatest wrestler to ever come within a hundred feet of it. Taz, I would run circles around all of your dirtbag fans or your dirtbag friends back in the day. And this leads to Jerry Lynn walking down and he makes the cardinal sin of calling him jungle. And he explains that we paved the way for this younger generation. And there's an ECW chant. And then he explains without ECW, there would be no jungle boy. If I was Jack Perry, I would have been like, go on, explain that, that lineage of mine Hmm. if ecw did not exist there would be no jungle boy how many things would not exist in this world if ecw did not exist um um like i i mean i get jerry what jerry lynn means he he means like oh if we didn't make the style popular you wouldn't be wrestling like that but is that, do you think that's true? <laughs> that's not, you're just filling in the blanks for Jerry here. That's kind of what he means. Anytime somebody says, you know, if, if blank didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. That's, that's kind of what they mean. Okay. I guess so. Like, I guess if, you know, if the AWA didn't exist, neither would Jerry Lynn. I, I probably wouldn't. I mean, he was, I don't think he would. And I, I would be born uh, if the AWA didn't exist. That's you know, it. That's Vern, the butterfly gave effect. birth to everybody. Yeah. So he warns Jack Perry that he's going to get his ass kicked and Perry at, or, 
Perry asks who's going to do that, and Lynn drops the mic, and then Perry instantly realizes he's serious. Like, I'm not dressed for a fight, but next week we can have a match. And so they are promoting Jack Perry against Jerry Lynn for next week, to which we are going to go back to an interview Jerry Lynn did in April of this year, of 2023, uh, with K&S WrestleFest, as transcribed by the great Andrew Thompson, when asked about a potential next match. This is Jerry's answer in April. No, I would love to, but my neck won't allow me. I found out probably the last three years I wrestled, I could have been paralyzed. Three of my discs were completely flat, and I had stenosis all over different parts of my neck. One was central stenosis right around the spinal cord, and there was hardly any room for any spinal fluid to get through. It depends on the weather, how I feel when I get up in the morning. If it's raining, I hurt all over. I got arthritis all over, and I got, you know, because of my neck, I never wanted to know. I should have got it checked out because... I think I started getting tingling down my arm in 1998 and I never got it looked at. And so these three fingers, this bottom of my hand are numb and sometimes tingling and the back of my tricep. uh, I tore that too and never got it fixed, but it's atrophied. And so as the doctor said, I can't promise it'll get better, but we can stop it from getting worse. So I just got permanent nerve damage because I was stupid and never wanted to stop and get it looked at. So that's a health update on Jerry Lynn. So I'm hoping this is an angle next week. And uh, they they advertised face to face at the later on in the show. So face I don't face. Yeah. So I I mean did they did you recap that promo word for word? Did they actually did he challenge him to a match? He said he, in the segment in the in the he definitely challenged him. He said I'm going to kick your ass next week. So kick your ass in a match, I suppose, are two different things. You know. Okay. Um, so if a bell doesn't ring. Totally safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's he's more than. Fine. Are we going to get physicality involving Jerry Lynn next week? I think that they have promised like, uh, some, some kind of physicality, unless they do some angle to uh, excuse the tease Jerry. of some physicality. Yeah, but or maybe Jerry gets laid out in the in the back, and we. Just I certainly feel like the verbiage was was done to make you think Jerry Lynn might actually be coming back, but they did advertise. Oh, they absolutely led you to the idea Jerry Lynn is wrestling next week. Right, yeah, but they did advertise like face to face afterwards, so it it did clear things up. Okay, so what was this then tonight? Well, like lead up to face to face. I mean, what <laughs> what what will the face to face consist of? Or talking? More talking? Yeah, I think okay. so. Maybe some, maybe maybe uh, eh, he could do a pile cradle pile driver, maybe. You know, it's an interesting angle to take Jack Perry here. Like you're you're using something that I I suppose is still very much universally beloved. And that's ECW nostalgia as the thing that he's, you know, aiming and and criticizing. And there there will be ECW nostalgia when they get to Dynamite 2000. Yes, no doubt. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we can be living on the moon at some point and and the, the, the entire world will be completely um unlivable and we'll still be talking about ecw nostalgia i think um this will somehow i guess lead to taz getting involved in, in a way to you know lead to the, the hook rematch rematch he was pretty play. much silent during this like you're waiting for him to respond even when he was directly insulted by jack perry and none of it like to me that would be a great the great spot i wouldn't do it next week i would wait for it like when he applies the taz mission on this guy and the place would just go he can't do it to jack perry like jack perry has to do it to taz you know, like, and then, and then Hook has to come in, like, uh, you know, because I, who else? My question is, what what other ECW legends will come back? Oh, they could, they could certainly make. The Who's calls. still doing the circuit here? 
They could get Dreamer, RVD? no problem. They could get, yeah, sure, sure. You could go, run the gamut. Man, you Lance has programs with like, you know, two different. Lance uh, has plenty of programs. I mean, <laughs> oh, Jack Perry and the Sandman on television in, in 2023. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. I don't know if none of this sounds too appealing, but uh, <laughs> uh, Renee is with Britt Baker and she thanks Tyre for calling her out. She respects and admires her. Um, and tonight you're going to swim with the sharks. Uh, and TBS is the Brit show. Now, was that a shot at Jade? That's what I took it as. Yeah, interesting. Teasing that. So um, that was the purpose, I think. I would hope so, yeah. Because, you know, Britt really hasn't had anything to do since JB Haters left. So at this point, like, are we expecting Hater back even for All In? Um, I would hope so. But yeah, yeah me too. Like, we're getting close. I would. I really hope they have, like, a main event announcement for All In next week on Dynamite 200. Like, they, they should... I think they got to get that main event announced next week. Special announcement from Tony Khan? Yes, very special announcement. Um, also announced, uh, Grand Slam tickets are going on sale this Friday, and they were advertising in the graphic, Dynamite and Rampage Grand Slam. So it looks like they're going to do the, uh, probably do the four-hour deal again at Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, that night with like a two-hour Rampage. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, I'm okay. assuming so. Pack against Gravity. So Pack starts, and he's like, Telling him, it's me. It's me. This, like, very <laughs> clever when they announced this, but man, did they run this joke into the ground. And Pac yeah. is not the guy that needed to be, get it? Get it? We got it. Um, there was it, was, a- it was awful. And you had to have Excalibur, of course, like, spell out the joke for everybody. Yeah, which, as well. just it's funny. We got it. Like, it's if it's, you get it, you get it. If not, you don't have to explain it. This, like, this was a very WWE explanation of a joke. So there was a headstand from Gravity on the edge of the apron to and splashed Pac on the floor. And then Pac is in control during picture in picture. And this took a while, this break. Uh, BCC is watching from the locker room. And then... Pack is attacking him in the corner, like swatting his face, yelling, forget me not. <laughs> and I was like, that was so lame. So you know what? <laughs> he did it a second time in case the camera didn't pick it up. Forget me not. I was like, <laughs> I want to forget this match at this point. And Pack hits a superplex brutalizer and won't release the hold. 827. Um, Dude, I thought this was disappointing for what I was expecting. Like it was like, I, I just thought this was like really like nothing. And dude, the, the pack, like his character stuff in this, like was very cringy. <laughs> I, well, just, I did not enjoy this. I, I think, I don't think they needed to reference like the joke that much in the body of the match. I think the simple matchmaking and then maybe one line at the very this end. This was also Pac taking like 90% of this match. Like this was not a big showcase for gravity to do a lot of cool stuff. Like, but it was also meant match. To, but it was also meant to be a rehab match for Pack coming off the Claudio loss. Right. You can, you can win the match, but still like have an, ex- like, I just didn't find this to be all that exciting, to be honest. Like it was just a lot of just pack destroying this guy for eight and a half minutes, three of which was during a break. I really didn't mind that so much because if you remember pack, like technically lost the blood and guts match too. So he's come back from his long hiatus and hasn't really had a showcase match yet. So I think he needed to look dominant here. Um, yeah, like it was really cringeworthy the way they were trying to reference the, 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 the joke of why this match took place. But, um, I, I think, you know, I actually like this more than the commander match because I felt 
like this was a more legitimate match to me uh with gravity um it was a bit more grounded uh if you will um still you know it's it's pat getting ready and gravity re- remembered this match that's it yeah so he's uh he's getting reacquainted with the aw audience whether or not he's a heel or a baby face that's still kind of up to you to t- determine i mean th- this guy was like a stand-up comedian here i think the turn has been completed forget me not <laughs> Then we go to uh, a pair of interviews that were done last week with MJF and Cole, followed by FTR that Renee conducted. And Renee goes to ask Adam Cole about winning the Blind Eliminator Tournament, but MJF hijacks the interview and explains he liked FTR more when they were his lackeys, which was the pinnacle of their career. And he is sick of Dax's <laughs> Yosemite Sam looking ass and goes to do this impression of Dax Harwood and referencing his wife and his daughter, and he says, you guys are uh, fists, or w- w- what's what's the term? Uh, no f- flips. No just flips, fists. just fists. And he's going to take his fist and hit him so hard, you're going to spit out CM Punk's jockstrap. And then Cole takes over and says that this team started about tag titles, but now it's about friendship. Never in a million years did I think I would enjoy this, but you're not just becoming one of my friends, you're becoming one of my best friends. And MJF <laughs> says, you know what? Win, lose, or draw on Saturday. I want to give you a rematch for this AEW title. Cole's like, really? Really? And in runs Roddy with the neck brace. No! What's going on? And he cannot believe MJF. He sees right through him. And Cole has to take Roddy for a timeout. And he says, Roderick, you're like a brother, but you're acting insane and possessive. You're pushing me away. I have other friends. And you have to trust me. And if you want to be my friend, you have to trust me. And then, hey, boundaries. Mm-hmm. There's some great lines on this show. Hey, hey boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. Uh, dude, Roderick is becoming my favorite like non-wrestling character uh, in any company. He's really time. owning this neck brace deal. You know, it, it like just him running into screen with the neck brace is an automatic like <laughs> huge reaction for me. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like. I'm curious about what's going on. This is like has become one of the hottest programs in all of AEW thus far, and um, I think MJF's like a, attempts to play he, babyface here continue to be really interesting. This was like a direct, almost like rock like type of babyface promo, including like a funny impression of his opponent, and uh, Cole continuing to maybe like I don't know, like ham up the best friend nature of this entire thing. I'm really curious to see when the twist is coming and what will happen. I liked it a lot. And then you got this response from FTR. Dude, this is the promo that should have aired on Collision instead of in the ring. This was yeah. a million times better. Well, they didn't have a crowd to go. Well, that, t- take, a, take note. So Cash feels bad that Adam Cole is being dragged into this. He hates MJF. He's a terrible human being. Everyone has left him, including his fiance. And then Cole... Uh, Dax explains that Adam Cole has a win over Dax and I'm not going to let him go two and oh, and I'm not going to get all gimmicked up here over MJF. I assume you made fun of my accent and you make fun of the AEW tag titles. There will be no dance routine on July 29th. We are going to have a fight and Max, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And if you said anything about my family, I'm going to rip your eyeballs out. Sorry, Adam. So three years removed from a man's eyeball being removed in pro wrestling. We might get uh, another next, uh, this coming Saturday. 
Yeah, I just I, I just hope Samoa Joe's on commentary so we can uh, get his official call. All right. Didn't Pac get blinded at one point? Um, Pac was he didn't lose an eyeball. Oh, his eyeballs intact. But he had the right. eye patch. You're right. You're right. Yeah, a few have had the eye patches in AEW, but so who lost the eyeball? Your... Was it Jeff Hardy? Ray. Ray. Oh, Ray lost the eyeball. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> Seth vomited after, and Samoa Joe had to sound like he was like calling uh, the end of a golf game. I think everything in the Thunder in the Thunderdome I've I've completely blocked out from my head. But um, you know, like man, Cash, so like, Ray. That's right, Cash. Like uh, talking about MJF's fiance leaving him. I mean, the, these are pretty low, like you know, cold. They brought it. The, the fiance has been brought up a few times by the the opponent of the but, month. Uh, but but I would almost suggest this was such a low blow that like you know, especially going up against a baby face pseudo baby face MJF. Uh, I, I wonder, think they're going to be treated as full baby faces on Saturday. That Hartford crowd will be behind Cole and MJF. They're the hot act, and, yeah. and that means RFTR leading into the heel reaction i think so they would be crazy not to expect that on on saturday and for the betterment of the match they should work it that way yeah and so i'm very curious to know if this was a promo designed to you know just get them further booed as heels by going a bit lower um also like what was the construction of this promo like when do you think realistically they would have taped it would they would they have done it as they said last week or did they know the content of mjf's promo first before cutting this promo like uh, that whole thing is just kind of curious to me i mean ftr they weren't they weren't there tonight and they i don't think renee was there on saturday was she so there so the graphic in the back said uh blood and gut so they would have done this last week well that's yeah yeah is that what you're asking like i i feel yeah. this was this was not taped after collision if, if that's what you're asking yeah that's what i'm asking i suppose yeah. but because it it Fed perfectly from the MJF promo, so I guess maybe they just got a heads up of what MJF was going to say. Oh, that part, yes, yes, yes. I think that that was perfectly designed for for that reason. So when uh, when Dax watches back that promo, and in fact MJF brought up his kids, so he's got to go for the eye. Yes. Swerve Strickland against Darby Allen. We had uh, Prince Nana and Nick Wayne out there. Dude, Nick Wayne's reactions were great in the in this match. Like they would cut to him, and he he was great. Um, Darby's insane. Um, he did the last supper and swerve kicked out of it. So not, not as protected of, of a move as it had been. We've seen, uh, like two kickouts now uh, of it, but, um, they both kicked out of their big spots here. Swerve, um, so there was a, a moment where swerve is on the edge of the apron and Darby goes for a spear and he came down and this was the scariest moment on the show. He came down and do I rewound this and he goes right down on his head. The ref dives to the floor to check on him. And of course, Darby is okay and he gets up from this. But my God, was this landing frightening. Agreed. Yeah. And this wasn't even, you know, oh, they did a lot it, of it was just probably the worst thing in the match, but it was hardly like the only concerning thing that he did. Swerve rolls out to the other end, and then there's a lope by Darby into a flying kick from the floor from Stomp, from Swerve, who hits the Swerve stomp for a two count. The crowd goes nuts for that kick out. And then there is a power slam off the turnbuckle that Darby turns into a stunner. Swerve comes back, and he is on the second turnbuckle and hits a Death Valley driver off the second turnbuckle to the edge of the the apron and Nick Wayne. I don't think he was acting here. I think he was genuinely concerned that this man was crippled uh, from, from this spot as he just rolls to the floor. And um, this was the the next crazy moment of the match. Yes, it was. Yeah. 
There is a masked man that jumps the rail and attacks Darby on the floor, runs him into the post, and this sets up the JML driver with Swerve winning in 12.07, revealing himself to be A.R. Fox and continues the attack, including attacking Nick Wayne with a skateboard, and he is part of the mogul embassy. Mm-hmm. I thought a really good match. You know, as always, uh, the chemistry between these two, I think, is absolutely fantastic. Um, a good way to continue this Fox push throughout this episode. But man, like a really scary amount of damage to Darby Allen, and I continue to really worry about his forties. Um, you know, but he'll he'll be very accomplished at that point. Maybe he'll still be you know climbing mountains and doing shit like this. But God, like that's a lot of like yes. a lot of miles he's putting on that body. Yes, as I've learned over the past month, um, w- we don't talk about this stuff as it's happening now, and then um, years, decades from now, then then we can reflect on on this stuff when when it's uh that's what the, what's that in reference to i'm just, i'm just saying i just don't think anyone wants to hear us uh talk about the the dangers of pro wrestling until it's like a, a real problem and then someone's uh in real dire need right so okay. anyway i'm sure he'll be fine Renee is with the JAS members and they are not happy with Jericho's decision. Jericho appears, they go to talk and then the camera just follows them in and they have no problem with this and the painting is on the wall. Parker has his switchblade comb that Jericho gave him, but he's not giving it back yet. He still has faith in Jericho. Anna J says that he's being selfish. We spent all this time appreciating you. Obviously, you don't appreciate us until you do. We can't give you 100%. And Menard is the last, last one there telling Jericho to figure this out fast. And Jericho's all by himself. I mean, I don't feel like we've heard from the, the rest of the JAS throughout this entire, you know, callous Jericho campaign. So it was nice to finally get at least what may, might remind be us time. who's in the JAS. Yeah. It was nice to see Ty Mello, you know, coming back here. Um, very N- nice to see. She had to travel all the way here to, uh, t- just to, uh, inform Chris Jericho that I'm fine. What's going on with you? Yeah, they could have had her on a, on a uh, FaceTime, I suppose. You're right. But I mean, hey, man, like you can't stay at home forever just because you're pregnant. You got to, you know, go out. I, I'm people. saying like in in storyline here for, for her, like she had to come up like this was the meeting. Like, did she know yeah. all this was going to happen? Um, maybe I guess they, they anyway. were ready to confront Jericho. And then the Takeshita thing just was like, can you believe this? We were just about to have a meeting about this. That That's exactly it. So maybe tying up some loose ends. So she came, but Sammy didn't. Yeah. Dr. Britt Baker against Taya Valkyrie. At the beginning of this match, uh, Taya mocks the DMD sign and lands the double knees in the corner. And then we had um, the spot of all spots here. So Taya lifts up uh, Britt. This is, uh, she sets her up. And it seemed to be the idea was Baker was going to counter Road to Valhalla, but that did not happen. So she just gave her the worst looking road to Valhalla ever and just goes down and to to Taya's credit she did not sell it like oh my god we just totally screwed this up like she tried to just move on and not sell it but they instantly go to picture in picture she's mounting Baker and attacking her with strikes and we come back and dude they got into the striking like the road to Valhalla spot is going to be what everyone focuses on but there were some really bad looking like striking here like very sloppy um then there's a northern lights by Taya to counter the Panama sunrise so then Baker comes back she tries it again but as she comes down off the turnbuckle she like she pauses 
and then hits the Panama sunrise, which wasn't like the biggest deal in the world, but it sort of just compounded things that they, this was just, it was not a good match. She puts on the glove, Taya lands a spear, and then Road to Valhalla is blocked, and she transitions to the lockjaw. 9.46, she wins. And then, if there was a punctuation point to this pretty bad match, there's a guy facing the hard cam. I was assuming it was a guy. It could have been a female. Facing the hard camera with a sign that reads, book the women's division better. But it's very hard to see this sign. So she wins the match. They cut to a close-up of this sign. Wow. How are they calling for this cut? Like, hey, someone's got a women's division sign. Quick, get a close-up of that. So we go from this match that just fell apart to this close-up. Book the women's division better. I was like, I don't know what was more baffling. Like, the, this match just falling apart or the director saying, get to that close-up. This was, um, yeah, this was um, not good. No, it, it didn't. Um, I... It almost felt like that botch was some sort of setup for an AEW All Access episode where they could really get and show us in the back, like, you screwed this up. <laughs> oh, you screwed this up. And then they'll blow, blow the whole season off. Brett's like going to be was... sitting down with Tony. <laughs> Look what social media is saying. Stay off of social media, Brett. Like, it was so weird. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, like, like, if, like, what, what I don't, I can't even tell what they were. She goes for the for wheelbarrow. Her. And I have to, like, obviously, she wasn't hitting Road to Valhalla there. They're not doing a near fall off that. And they're not doing the finish that early in the match. So I have right. to imagine Baker was going to, like, flip through and, uh, and counter it or do something. And they just seemed like yeah. one didn't know what the other w- was doing. And yeah. it just kind of fell from there. And I just don't think they ever got this one back on track. I, I thought Ty was like doing her best here. Like, it, but anyway, it's, I, I kind of felt like Ty was the weaker looking one of the two, but it's hard to say in a wrestling match, you know, who's really kind of like more to blame for a bad result. I mean, they were both off. It was just, it, th- this was just not a match to write home about. Yeah, yeah, and it's really unfortunate because I think on the one hand you have a lot of people who want to see um, more women's wrestling, but that means every like when you only have one re- women's wrestling match on a show, the microscope is going to be that much bigger on them, and any bad move that you do is going to be unfortunately emphasized that much more, probably unfairly, but it, it, unfortunately that's also the reality when you're only going to have one you know, real performance on the show. So not a good night for these two. We've seen them have far better matches. So maybe they can, you know, redo it better at some point. No, I thought you were going to say maybe they could have redone this, but um, no, this one. I don't, don't, I don't know if you could do that. No. Coming up on a rampage on Friday night, it will be Nyla Rose against Hikaru Shida. The first, uh, well, former AEW women's champions having a match and, Sheeta is trying to get a rematch with Tony Storm and has to go through Nyla Rose to do so. Mm-hmm. Then there is going to be a tag team battle royal with Brian Cage and Big Bill, Brother Zay and Ethan Page, Satnam Singh and Jay Lethal, the Hardys, Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel, the Butcher and the Blade, Menard and Parker. So we are not getting Magic Meat reunited, mm-hmm. but we are getting Cage tag. and Big Bill. And Luther and Serpentico, the winners get a tag title shot. So this is the return of uh, Jeff Hardy, who couldn't do any of the Canadian shows. So this will be right. our first match uh, from Jeff Hardy in over a month. Does it, does it mean Big Bill is in the embassy now? We haven't got that confirmation, but man, if they could get, um, yeah, Big Bill and AR Fox, what a what a big week! Almost too big. You know, if uh, Big Bill and uh, 
and Swerve teamed up, they could be Kill Bill. The they former could. Kill Shot. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Scorpio Sky against Kip Sabian and the Kingdom will be in action. Collision has the previously announced. So, matches. um, Brandon from New, New Jersey brought up a great point about how, like, I they, don't believe you. They they spent weeks and weeks and weeks building up this Scorpio Sky like on Collision, and he's just having a match on Rampage. They're not. Uh, they're not brand exclusive. There's no brand split way. Right. I guess they're not. <laughs> they don't. He's, need wa- to have he's any watching story. matches on Collision. He's just a fan. <laughs> It's got a nice I guess uh, so. private box. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get you. You can't have time for everybody, but why, like, you know, even debut him um, with that much fanfare right now? I guess this is just how AEW, like, you know, does things. This is the balance. Like, the counter argument to that is that okay, there's interest in seeing Scorpio Sky, and it's not a huge deal, but it's enough that maybe that, like, that's something for Rampage. That's a Rampage. Like, they're not throwing the towel in on Rampage. And no, they're keeping him warm. You know, that's it. They- like, I wouldn't overanalyze. You know, just having a match on on Rampage. Collision. So we have FTR, MJF, and Cole. The ladder match with Buddy Matthews and Andrade. And then Vikingo, Darius Martin, and Action Andretti against the Guns and Juice Robinson. Dynamite 200. Jericho and Takeshita against Guevara and Garcia. And uh, our face-to-face between Jungle Jack and uh, Jungle Jerry. (laughs) That's right. Yes. Main event, Moxley and Claudio against the Lucha Brothers and the Best Friends. Uh, we got Claudio and Phoenix in together, which was uh, a lot of fun. A big pop-up European. Um, after they brawled on the stage, we saw Chuck Taylor dive off of the stage. The Best Friends deliver tandem pile drivers to the Lucha Brothers. And then the Lucha Brothers come back with submissions, including Penta snapping the arm of Trent. But as we know, they have a remarkable recovery post-Lucha Underground for Penta's arm snap. Like You can be back in a week. Uh, and in this case, Trent will. I mean, you know, minor dislocation. That's it. Fine. That's it. Um, there's a paradigm shift to Phoenix, Ricola bomb to Chuck Taylor, and then he goes for one to Trent. When Orange Cassidy comes out to his music, nailing Yuta with the orange punch, and he goes after John Moxley. So this was another thread from that first match that got uh, told throughout the show. And Trent stops the Ricola bomb, hits the dude buster, but Claudio is not the legal man, so he's super kicked by Phoenix and takes the fear factor with Penta pinning Trent in 1427. Brawl involving everyone continues on the floor and before we go off the air we get announced for dynamite 200 and anything goes match with john moxley penta and trent next week so moxley is just uh not taking his uh foot off the gas at all from blood and guts to uh tonight to i think he's got uh defy coming up and then he's got uh anything goes Man's I'm sure he would be doing the G1 right now if it was physically possible to teleport to Japan. If, if Tony Khan had asked, hey, could you fly home in between to do the ROH pay-per-view? Yeah, he well, would have sure. just said yes. Is yeah. it possible? Probably not, but he would try. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it. That was Dynamite. I, I didn't think this was – in some ways, I enjoyed the fact that we had some stories that sort of told themselves throughout the the episode and you got – Certainly some interesting stuff with AR Fox, with the Cassidy Moxley program, um, a really good international title match. And I did enjoy the Swerve Darby match, save for some spots that were a little squeamish. But I would say as a whole, uh, th- there was also some some big misses on the on this show, too, that just felt lacking. I, I definitely felt the elites sort of a missing presence on the show, yes, especially good. just since, you know, they, they, they took such center, such a big spotlight last week and. Obviously, they completely deserve the week off. Um, but maybe um, this show was lacking just a little bit in the in follow up. What this this show did kind of feel like was like a bit of a 
a rebuilding sort of like at post pay-per-view type of show where you're focusing a lot more on the other people picking up new storylines, building new storylines. Um, and in that sense, I thought it did a good job. I thought there were some good matches on the show, but of all the dynamites, this might've been a slightly weaker one, but it was still a good show. I thought. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You use the term like rebuilding period, like coming off of a big show when it's like in four weeks, we have the biggest show in this company's history, mm-hmm. like the biggest by far. And yeah, it's like, I'm sure that a lot of this is going to come together and you're going to have that, but it just seems as though, like, I think like now is the time you want to be certainly like peaking programs and not just starting from scratch. And they're not really starting from scratch. Like you can see several of the big programs that are in place. I'm sure they have something in place for MJF and Cole already. We're just, we have to wait until Saturday to really see what the result of of that tag match is before we get to that next chapter. Right. But a lot Um, of the big guns, it's like, like you can't say for sure. Like, okay, Kenny Omega's match is obviously going to be this. Like there's mm -hmm. several candidates. It could be Osprey. It could be Takeshita, but you don't know for sure. And I would say, like, I feel by this point, like, we should know what, like, in our head, even if it hasn't been announced, like, what are our big four programs for this stadium show that's in four weeks? Yeah. I I think next week, like, if we're talking here next Wednesday and we don't have, like, that kind of top of the card, at least in in place, I I think, like, it's – you don't want to just have this stuff like two weeks before and we're just, like, rushing out match announcements. Although I think they – even if they did do that – how much would they really lose though john like we've seen this company announce pretty much like you know cards the week before and they've done fine you know even we even without the help of tv like i don't know if for AEW there's as much of an urgency to you know spell everything out maybe a month in advance it it, just because i think it's such a different type of audience um people are going to be watching this show because it's a newsworthy show either way yeah, I would say though the base like it seems like the the baseline has been about 140,000 buys and for this show I I would feel like if it does 140,000 buys I would call that a disappointment. Like I mm. think you want to shoot for the moon for the show and create new new pay-per-view buyers, first-time watchers of the product. Like this needs to be like an all-time show for them. Like this is for people that don't know what AEW is, like this is our second chance to like have a giant impression, a huge, right. huge show that is an all-time um, event for the company. So, um, so w- what about on the Punk side of things? Who do you see for him at All In? Do we have any indication through Collision about what program he's going to have? Starks. He's linked to Starks. Um, I would say that's the most pressing program he's got like you you have like jay white and juice in the background but starks is the the kind of cooled off on the jay white thing but they can always you know announce it and it seems like like he's you know throwing Mm -hmm. shots at mjf so that might be all out um that is the bigger show for punk like i you can get by with punk and starks at all in and the chicago show seems to me but to be quite honest like all they have to do to to satisfy everybody with this card is announce osprey omega three Omega three, <laughs> like, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very nutritious. Uh, third match. All right, let's go. If there's any super chats, you can throw those in, and we will also go to your feedback on the forum before we head on over to the double shot. Let's go to forum.postwrestling.com for some of your thoughts. 
We start things off with Andrew from Cape Breton. Tonight felt like a bit of a refresh for some people, such as the BCC and AR Fox. Tonight also pointed people in a few possible all-in directions, but I don't like that there's nothing concrete yet. I also know Jerry Lynn has his neck issues, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to see him in the ring one more time. Jerry was one of the most underrated wrestlers ever and a favorite of mine to watch. I'm not sure where they're going with best friends in this BCC program. It feels like they're just simply the fall guys, and I wonder if Trent gets... Freshened up soon in a similar way AR Fox was tonight. Seven awkward camera cuts to crowd signs out of 10. <laughs> Let's go to Boo Yank, who says, I attended the show. Not sure how it was on television, but the crowd was pretty good. Although it seemed like it was purposeful, a purposeful setup for a smaller audience. MVP can fit a lot more people. Everyone hated Jack Perry. I couldn't hear anything he said until Mr. JL came out. Yeah, Jack Perry kind of has this, like, he's got a bit of a Dominic thing, you know, uh, going on where audiences are just very loud for him, despite, like, just, you know, what he says. So we'll see if he can keep keep that up. Darby versus Swerve in the main event were really good. Do you think it less his blood and guts to have the three guys in matches the very next week? Ring crew was very quick to turn everything to Rampage. It's already started. Looks like the majority stayed to watch. Uh, the question about having blood and guts participants appear the next week. Do you think it lessens blood, blood and guts? I, I didn't even think twice about that watching Claudio and Pac two nights after. Um, no, I didn't think it did. I, I didn't thought they did a great either. job with that video package of just uh, just showing the the brutality uh, of it. And I mean, the fact is you like the winners were not there tonight. Um, it, it to me, I, I didn't think like you can, it's personal taste. If you, if it bothered you fine, but does it affect uh, the gravity of the match? No, I think the reality is if you were already missing the bucks on the show, I don't think you really wanted to have Moxley missing either. Um, I, and it's like, it, it was a very bloody match and certainly Mox did the majority of the bleeding in blood and guts, but he was still like standing by the end, you know? Um, I don't think it, it, it harms it. If anything, like it's a bit of a way to save Mox to show that despite losing the match, he was the one who worked the next week, whereas the lead had to go home to rest. So uh, your turn. Next, we go to uh, Jake, a rare, just okay night of dynamite. Darby and Swerve was excellent, but Britt Tyo was pretty dull. Those two do not have chemistry. I just felt like they were taking a holiday tonight uh, when they're supposed to build anticipation for arguably their biggest event in company history. Instead, we're seeing three-way main events with the best friends. Uh, How should AEW handle the show going against SummerSlam uh, next Saturday? I think you're going to get like a good size lineup they're not going to just like not put a good card together that makes no sense in the world so i think you'll get um yeah the question is just how big of a match i think you probably put like a, a punk match on there and i i think they will they will you know put put a big show up there but they're they're against like a huge show SummerSlam is going to be a very big show this i year. think you treat it exactly the same way you've been treating all these collisions so far you know you you put out your best effort you make Absolutely. it feel like it's must see even if people aren't going to watch it the live um you got to make sure that people regret that they didn't watch it live or at the very least will go and seek it out on dbr I, I you what you don't want to do is tell people once a month we're going to just you know take a shit on the show and not try our best they have to so a hundred percent uh let's go up next to brian from new jersey who says broken record for me but AEW had a lot of good wrestling tonight well three lengthy matches at least 
I like Darby versus Swerve the most, and I thought Era Fox received a great showcase and solid new direction. In regards to the BCC Best Friends and Lucha Brothers feud, I think of it as just gang wars without the implied race fighting, but that's underselling the efforts of all the wrestlers here. Moxley versus Orange seems like a good direction for All In, as suggested in the chat early on. Speaking of throwbacks, Jerry Lynn sticking up for ECW against Jack Perry felt very 2010. I also felt the show was better paced than usual, kind of like how Collision is paced. Do you think Michael Mansuri has had any influence over the presentation of the main shows? I mean, he's one of the the lead guys. I would think that he has a great amount uh, of input in terms of the, you know, the just in terms of the whole flow of uh, the show. So I would think like that would be a reasonable conclusion to make. Um Jordan from the Bronx here. This show felt disjointed. I found myself more confused as far as the direction for most of these stories than before. I felt that the opener was building to a Moxley Orange Cassidy title match, which can be fun. But by the end of the show with a big brawl, I felt like this is going to be a three-way trios feud. I'd love AR Fox getting featured going forward. Just on that note, I I mean, I I do agree that they're doing a lot with Orange Cassidy. They're splitting him into every direction. You know, if if it was like, I thought it was Claudio first. Um, and now it's looking like it's more Mox than Claudio, and Claudio was only what, like, sort of like a, a surrogate or substitute for Mox. Was that it? Um, what what other directions were they trying to build here? Um, anyway, there was a lot. Um, there was a sign that said "Book the women's division better," and that sign was right. For an example, it's weird to see Tony Khan get it right with Athena and ROH, but not with her in AEW. Athena's been great this year, but she's mostly behind a paywall. Meanwhile, other ROH champions, Claudio and Samoa Joe, get to be on AEW TV weekly. Many have started to say it after last week, but it often feels like the women's division is tokenized down to one match per show in the same time slots every week. I hope that's not the case, and that soon the women can feel more important in AEW than they do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, continues you know what three years in continues to be a, a major point of discussion and criticism when we're talking about aw and specifically tony khan's booking um the one slot per show i thought especially like was highlighted last week when that Britt baker match like got a few seconds in i guess it was to build to tonight's match with taya but um it certainly didn't feel substantial when you compare it to even WWE or uh, NXT, you know, and, and they're sort of like a uh, uh, amount of like maybe presence with women's characters. So it, we're not going to get the answer here, um, but it continues to be a big topic of debate. Let's go to Cody from Maine who says not everything landed, but I still found it to be an enjoyable show. There's still a lot thrown there's still a lot thrown out there, but the pacing has definitely slowed down, which I'm thankful for. I'm a big fan of everything they did with AR Fox tonight, although I'm surprised it wasn't a bit more spaced out between weeks. It just, But it seemed to be a theme tonight, given we got to see just what Don Callis did with the painting in the JS locker room. In regards to Jack Perry, my takeaway was that this could be leading to him taking on numerous former ECW alumni over the next few weeks, given the title involved. If that's the case, who do you think it leads to at all in? I'm thinking about the biggest name with some drawing power left, Rob Van Dam comes to mind although maybe they can go with another former ecw champion for my money the greatest paul white yeah that sounds riveting i don't think it'll be i think you'll maybe get a tv segment with rob van dam but i also think like there's probably more interest in a match with hook or somebody actually on the roster that they can use to build off of like this ecw story than an actual ecw um nostalgia act uh sad to say you know like that it would have been great maybe in 20 10 at, at the latest but in 2023 i don't know if i really want to see on a big stage. they'll still get reactions if it's a surprise I, 
showing yeah. up. Coming out, it's fine. I don't want to see a full full on singles championship match. Yeah, I I mean, I, it's not like my interest in 2023, but um, you know, they do like to just bring figures from the past, and they certainly uh, just alluded to it. Last one is Muggin. Dynamite threw a lot at the wall tonight. The Cole MJF cat and mouse game escalated. Fox is running with Swerve's gang. The JAS is disintegrating and the three-way was entertaining. I'm left wanting for collision. It's ahead of Dynamite by a country mile. A country mile. That's it's not a regular mile. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for your feedback, thoughts, analysis, criticisms, critiques, and all things in between. So you can always leave your feedback, forum.postwrestling.com. We are jumping over to the Post Wrestling Cafe now for the double shot, chatting about the Beast from the East episode of Dark Side of the Ring, covering Bam Bam Bigelow. And then Thursday, we've got two shows coming on the cafe with the MCU later, the finale of Secret Invasion. Plus, Wayne and I will be up Thursday night covering the G1 show with Okada taking on Osprey in the main event on Thursday. So looking forward to that. More cafe fun all weekend long. And Way, roll those credits. <laughs> 